Friends, welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my former platoon mate, turned mindless killer and co-host, Alex Dandino. That's right, guys. This month, the pod is held captive. Uh, as always, if you uh, appreciate listening to the show, and we hope you do, we appreciate having you, please take a second and leave us a rating and review, especially if you're listening on Apple Podcast app. That helps us a ton. Please share the show with your friends on all your socials. You can find us there, too. Uh, we use Twitter a lot, at FilmAlchemist1. Uh, yeah, we want to hear from you guys. What kind of movies you want us to cover, themes, double features, guest hosts, anything, guys. Let us know. You can email the show, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. And you can uh, see the faces that emit these golden voices, right? These golden-toned voices on our YouTube channel, Nerd Alchemist. That's plural with an S at the end. All right, guys. uh, Again, stating this is the pod is held held captive. Held captive. Held captive, I five, I'm one minute in and words don't work. Da, 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 da. This is going to be a banger. Slap, slap. That's what the kids say I heard. All right. The pod is held captive. That's why I've been oxygen deprived. My ties are too tight. Uh, today, Alex brought us a movie that he said, is this even a captive movie? I would argue this is the most captivity of any of the movies we've watched. Uh, Alex actually chose the Manchurian Candidate. I believe it's 1962, the Frank Sinatra version we're doing today. 1962. Uh, I love when this happens. This is one of those movies that everyone always talks about and references and has always told me it's great. But for some reason, this was one of my blind spots. I had never seen The Manchurian Candidate before last night. Uh, I'm so happy. And spoiler alert, it fucking rips. This movie is awesome. So, Alex... What brought this movie to mind? Why do you love it so much? Why were you excited to talk about it this week? Um, well, I mean, probably the thing that brings it to mind is obviously the um, origin point for the, like, the plot of the movie itself. They begin mm-hmm. as captives, and then uh, Lawrence Harvey becomes the most captive when you think about it. But really, we all are captive during the Manchurian Candidate. Um, I saw this movie in high school, like just randomly on TV. My dad, we were watching, like, uh, I think maybe... TCM or something like that. And he goes, Oh, Manchurian Canada. I'm like, the hell's that? And he's like, Frank Sinatra's. And I'm like, Oh, okay. It's like, you know, at that point you're like, sure, whatever. <laughs> Frank Sinatra's famous. It's Italian it. teenager duty. Yeah. <laughs> but we watched it and then I watched it again. And then I went and bought the DVD and I just sort of like fell yeah. in love with this movie because, and then you realize too, this movie is kind of a blueprint for a lot of spy thrillers. Like, and everything taught and awesome about this movie has, they've attempted to recapture this awesomeness every time they make a political thriller or something like that. And nothing is quite as engaging. Even if the, even the remake with Denzel is not quite as engaging as this movie itself. And I think, I think that's like, that's the real magic of this movie in general is that everything about it is engaging. And it has a lot of the sixties things that we talk about sometimes, you know, movies like, Movies of the era when people weren't all like when the Internet did not exist, people did not have to know everything. You couldn't just immediately pop on your phone and look up, <laughs> you know, oh, brainwashing and psychotropic stuff, like stuff like that. Like it's so the like, same way we talked about how Psycho ends with like an explanation of what that is. 
of like what his psychosis is. This movie has that same sort of 60s issue of like having to explain things, but it still does it so well and so entertainingly. And again, it's just such a fascinating and intriguing movie, particularly the way it's shot. I, I think once we get into it, the um, the actual like brainwashing scenes in Manchuria might be some of the more interesting, might be some of the most interesting stuff that was shot in the 60s, I think. Yeah, I think that that is one of the the real achievements of the movie is how much time they spend with characters just telling us shit. Yeah. Right? Whether it's the the Manchurian doctor, uh the him and the Russian guy just arguing about the actual plot of what they're trying to do. <laughs> right, right. And why they need to do these things. Frank Sinatra's constantly just telling us what he thinks is happening. Um, even in the climactic scene, right, where he's breaking it down with the queens. He knows what's up. We know what's up because he has the deck, but we're still going to walk through every single fucking thing that we've already heard 10 other people tell us out loud is happening, right? right? So this is a movie that, I mean, if Ellen Page's character in Inception somehow became an entire movie of just explaining things, (laughs) that's the Manchurian candidate. But you're right. It is so beautifully shot. And the acting is fucking amazing. I actually was surprised because I've never thought of Frank Sinatra as a great actor. Like, no. I've seen him in stuff, and you're like, all right. Sure. He is phenomenal in this He's movie. He's amazing. And I think that's the that's the trick of the movie is how well they pull off having to explain these. Because it's the thing. For a spy espionage thriller, right? Not even know a political thriller, whatever genre you would lump this it's in. It's like with, right? three different genres. There is not around. a lot of intrigue. We pretty much know every fucking thing that happens real fucking fast through exposition. Yeah. But yet it is always thrilling and I'm always just fascinated. It's almost the the exposition becomes hypnotic to the audience. Yeah. I think that's the thing that's most impressive it's, about it's really this cool. movie is the exposition itself is so engaging. Like that scene mm-hmm. with Sinatra and Lawrence Harvey, when they're going through like it's the, it's the pivotal moment where Sinatra finally like gets the four one, one on what's, what's actually going on. That should be the most boring scene in the history of movies. Like he's literally yeah. going down the list of things. All of us already know. <laughs> And yet, I am so locked he's in like, and engaged. He's like, like I oh killed, I killed my boss. Yeah, we watched that thirty minutes ago. <laughs> then I killed again. Yeah, we yeah, also we watched that. All right, like we know. <laughs> Sinatra yet- came in and told his new, way too fast fiance <laughs> that he already knew you did it. <laughs> but it is, it's engaging. You can't. I I love that scene, but this that scene's a great example of what this movie does well. Let's try to dramatize things that. You already know have happened through yeah. exposition, but they do these really brilliant tricks. Like that, the ticking clock of the solitaire game is fucking fascinating. Even though you're like, why is are the queens exponentially powerful? Like I don't know. Frank Sinatra's like, look at me between the queens. I am your ruler now. But you're like, yeah, I love this. But in that shot, we have this extreme close up, very harsh, hard focus on Shaw, right? Mm-hmm. But then when we cut to Sinatra, it's this really weird, soft focus as if he oh. barely exists in the reality of the room. You want to know. And that kind of stuff keeps it so engaged. You want to know something really fascinating about that? That is actually, and this is, again, this goes to the credit of our show, Film Alchemy, man. That is a mistake. The um, 
Sinatra. Really? Sinatra, admittedly. Because when they cut to the side view of both of them, he's in good focus again. So it, Sinatra, admittedly, was a one take guy. Like he, his his first takes were always very good. So they tried to use as many first takes of him as they could because the second time he just couldn't really get the same gusto. So the one take they had of the dead on shot of Sinatra, he kept shifting focus, and so it was coming in and out of focus. Frankenheimer, John Frankenheimer, the director, is like, I'm keeping that in. So he left it in. And now film historians actually praise him for using that shot as Raymond's sort of shifting focus and inability to actually concentrate. Like his brain is fuzzy from all the programming. And it's amazing because that originally was the worst shot of like four takes and they had to use it because it was the most compelling scene it was. But that's but like, that's, but that's it, what it is. It's this beautiful accident, right? Absolutely. It's perfect. Because again, yeah, we're looking through the eyes of this this man who's, you know, God, I think that is the other thing this movie does well, right? I that the fact that that was not intentional blows my mind because it's such an obvious choice. Oh yeah, totally. Right? right? Like if you see that movie now, you're like, of course he's soft focus. We get it. <laughs> right. You know, like it just feels like, of course they would make. That's crazy that that's an accident. It's nuts. I think one of the things that really was brilliant about this movie to me i love the way we see almost no honest interactions the entire movie right that what i love about this movie is it in a way we're focusing on this one kind of aspect right this trained hitman right and that he can be compelled to commit murders against his uh you know inner morals right despite like this theory and hypnosis right he's like i found the loophole and we can do right. that but what you start to notice in the movie right that's kind of our central focus what you realize throughout the movie is how much hypnosis is happening to every single character Interesting. and i think that is i think that elevates this movie a little bit for me above the classic you know oh russia you know is bad right <laughs> bad guys bad guys is because you start seeing how it feels like everyone's getting worked in every scene. Yeah. Right? Everyone is trying to get something from someone or some greater ideal, right? Like the way Sinatra, when they're like, you're freaking the fuck out, dude. You need a vacation. He's like, I refuse. You're like, he's so ingrained into the mission of the military and this and that, right? He's kind of hypnotized. Right. Like the scene that really was stunning is when they're in crowded Madison Square Garden and he's looking for this killer. He knows he's about to kill. But when the national anthem comes on, him and his buddies stop and salute. And I was like, that's their fucking program. Everyone yeah. has programming oh, yeah. throughout, right? And the, the thing about Shaw that's so sad is that what we see really early is that his entire life is he's been programmed always. Yeah. There's never you been know? a time. I, and again, this is like the best. Yeah. This is the most enga engaging part about the movie is that like – I mean, if, if for 62, like it's in the middle of the Cold War. So the big deal is communism. So communism is like at like out of context. Now that movie seems so dated. But you realize, actually, when you think about it in the context of our era now, it crystallizes even more. Really, everyone's programming is like Johnny Island, who is Raymond Shaw's stepfather, is this big like brash republican kind of a trumpy guy like who you know claims the left is wrong he's a democrat like, in this movie actually is he really <laughs> i always thought he was a republican yeah i believe so that's weird. the democratic convention 
fascinating. You forget there was a time when they were kind of switched around, yeah. I know, and, like, well, that's because they were actually, like, doing their thing. It's fascinating to me, yeah, like, but he's, like, this big fucking gusty blowhard type dude, and that's... Yeah. But he also is getting in front of the cameras, getting the press. Like, that's the programming of us. Like, we're all watching that guy now. Like, that's, like, the important thing about this movie itself is that... Like, you're right. Everyone has their own sort of program. And yeah, like the tragedy of Raymond Shaw is that he literally never had a chance. His mother is a fucking psychotic person who is like secretly a Soviet agent and all this other crazy shit. But ultimately, the the true genius of this movie is that absolutely no one is safe. No one is safe because we all have the things in our brain that make us stand up and salute. Like there's no there's no yeah, rhyme well, or reason. Also, to it. the movie never draws kind of a, a clear line of this is right and wrong. No. Right? What the movie kind of seems to say in general is you know, and I think that's what I mean. You can call it communism back then was the boogeyman. Yeah. Now we just change the words like crazy, right? Whether it's socialist or right. Q or whatever the fucking things are, you know, on the internet. <laughs> Right. If you go on Twitter, it's just all Manchurian brainwashed candidates, right? Absolutely. Like, now people are saying 5G towers are spreading. to Like, we have that, but it's everywhere, right? It might not be a political ideology, right? Like this grand government down right. theory, but we we might be more fuzzy than we've ever been. Totally. Right? And I think what this movie says, more than anything... And then, well, I don't know. Cause, all right, so let me make the point and then let me count, contradict myself in Devil's Advocate, right? Which is, sure. I think the movie makes the point that anything that is getting you to act just, just to carry out orders in general, right? The whores of just mindlessly following orders, period, right, is bad, right? But then the only person we see who seemingly is following no orders is Angela Lansbury, and she's really fucking bad. <laughs> so I don't know. The movie kind of has a contradiction well, built in, I, right? Because it, it a little bit plays at the horrors of war, right? Sure. Just, you know, here are these guys having fun, and then, you know, Shaw comes in, no fucking fun, get out of the brothel and bar, let's go. Right. They immediately get busted and betrayed, and so it's these, these whores, these small whores of carrying out orders, right? And then we see in the greater world, right? Like Sinatra's just doing his, like, oh, I'll just BPR. It's like, well... You messed up, so now you have to quit. I don't want to quit. Nope, fuck you. You know, like, there's this machine that's just chewing up everyone in the movie, it feels like. Yeah. Well, I mean, no, I mean, I, I think you make a good point, though. I I think that the movie is trying to – I think what the movie is trying to say is to read between the lines. Like, don't don't listen to the Red Queen. Like, read between the lines. And obviously, like, the Red Queen is a red hair – like, there's – Symbol, there's symbolism within the movie of who the Red Queen is and what the Red Queen is. But like the overall, to me, the overall theme of the movie itself is to not to pay attention for yourself. Like don't be brainwashed right. by all these other people and all these other things. Like try to be a Raymond Shaw. Because that's the other thing too is like Raymond Shaw is brainwashed. He is the Manchurian candidate. And at the very last minute, he's able to undo that programming because he is finally able to see for himself who the true red queen is like that. I think is probably the more engaging thing about the movie is thinking for yourself is dangerous, but it also is the right, that's the right thing to do. It's not a political stance. It's not one line or the other. It's thinking for yourself. 
that's the yeah i mean i agree with that too right but even in his final act right so in his final act shaw takes out the manchurian choice of candidate which is Iceland, right right they are going to help this guy who's a fucking terrible useless man ascended the presidency right he's the manchurian candidate so their sleeper agent ends up ruining that plan but even in that act right that was just sinatra pulling the strings now right not saying do that but cutting him free without taking any precautions that yeah this guy's pretty fucking well, unstable i don't know right? like, see that's like there's a there's a hint that maybe sinatra wants him to but that's sort of the thing back out i don't know because see that's always the thing about the movie that's fascinating to me is like there's that interpretation but then the other thing too is like because i think about the scene where he is gonna like where he puts himself in he's like it's broken all the strings raymond can't be controlled anymore Raymond literally gets a phone call and goes and does what he's told to do. So, like, the question really is through the ending of the movie is, is did that actually work? Did Marco actually break the entirety of the programming? Or was Raymond yeah. still under his own control? Did Raymond decide to actually do this himself? I, I think that is classic movie cheating, right? Sure. The end of this movie, right? Because I think it's one of those now audiences today – are going to be more trained to be like, oh, we know that there's going to be like a surprise ending, right? Right. And so I think maybe back then you would get a bigger surprise out of this kind of trickery, you know, because it makes, because Sinatra sitting there like, it fucking failed, I'm the dumbest guy ever. And I'm like, yes, I've been watching the movie. You're horrible at your job. <laughs> the entire operation essentially is go get drunk with an assassin and don't arrest him and don't like bring a tape recorder. Which is madness. His whole The whole theory of that unit is so dumb. I love but it. But ne that's neither here nor there, right? What I think happened, and this is the crazy part. I mean, what you're saying is true. Could there be any programming? Because Sinatra says, your programming is all gone, but I order it, right? So maybe in a way it is, the roots of it are still there. But I think when Shaw goes up into that perch, right. I think he is free, and I think it's just movie cheating that he's setting his sights on the target, knowing that he's going to kill the other two. Right. Like, they couldn't see that. He didn't need to trick them. I think that's just movie cheating to make it more thrilling. Yeah, and that's, again, like, that's the one I give. Like, I can deal with that kind of that's, cheat. No, that's fine. It, it doesn't It doesn't bother ruin me, the movie. I don't, I don't think as – no, no, fuck no. It's a great movie. But as an audience member, I never bought in for a second that – Oh, he's still programmed and he's still going to kill that guy. Right. Right. And when he, when he changes his targets, you're like, Oh, of course. Right. Because they took, because this is the thing about Shaw's character is it's this entire journey where he said, first I was programmed to be this horrible piece of shit by my mom. And for one brief minute, one brief minute, something came in and it scrambled all the fucking signals, you know, and this snake bite moment, meet cute, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Severs him from this, you know, kind of previous hypnosis he had from his mother, right? right. That everyone's a commie and we're rich and better than everyone. And this Game of Thrones life he was leading over there on the other side of the lake. Right, right. And now he's just like, I got a girlfriend and her dad's actually nice to me. And, you know, I dig it. So for like a brief, small fucking moment, uh, it's all good, you know? And so... When he comes out of it and realizes what has happened, because this is the other question they don't quite answer, is 
Raymond always acts like he doesn't know what happened. Yeah. Right? When he's awake. Right. But the rest of this platoon we've seen are having dreams. So you would have to imagine he's having those dreams too. So a part of him on that last day, he probably has the image of his wife being shot. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's the thing. I think his dreams are different because, like, all of Marco, Marco's and the platoon guy, like the um, other guy, um, their dreams are very specific of the actual, like, brainwashing sessions. Like, it's this big theater in the round and... It's again, it's, uh, it's, oh my God. it's among my favorite, like probably t- it's my top five scenes in a movie ever because first off, like they, so essentially there's, well, I don't know about you cause this is my first viewing, but I was so fucking confused. Yeah, no, that's like, the best part. I was, I remember cause we was just playing through and then all of a sudden I'm like, wait, where the f- yeah. Where the fuck are we? It's it's because we go from oh we've escaped uh you know here's a medal of honor I'm great it's everything's cool right right and then all of a sudden you just see Sinatra and the boys at a women's like a women's gardening garden club yeah yeah and I was what, what the what the that's fuck like is the, that's the really fascinating part about this movie and I remember I remember reading about that kind of thing too like the way that Frankenheimer had to shoot it is in a lot of regards oh too my like God, yeah. He was like, I think I can't remember. I I don't want to say that it was the scene, like the shots were like, um, like the sets were side by side. But I do know there was like like moments where like he would have to like whip like pan the camera around, and literally like people would be running to the next set to like sit in place where they were in the previous. <laughs> I feel like that was something I read, but it's one of these masterful scenes because. Part of the programming in this guy, the guy who's like, he's a real like, look, it's the 60s. He's a very Fu Manchu mustache. Like He's just, he's a, the Dr. Manchurio, whatever you want to call him. I don't even remember what he's called. But nevertheless, like he is talking about program, programming the mind to see other things, to see what they're doing. And they're in this like theater, like big, like theater in the round. It's almost like <clears throat> Disney concert hall. And then they cut to the soldiers who are on stage sitting there and they're actually they're actually seeing it as yeah like a women's garden party but then there's all these great little well i love because it feels like a continuous spin right right where it's you see the ladies in the audience and it's just all these old ladies enjoying talks about hydrangeas or whatever right and when the camera pans back and sinatra is like the first soldier right he's the first soldier in the line Mm -hmm. all of a sudden behind him there's all these you know, communist party propaganda posters yeah, there's like and shit. Huge posters and you're like, and shit. what? And they're all just still hanging out like they're at this uh, old ladies gathering. And yeah. then it cuts back. And yeah, you've got this like kind of almost operating theater look with all these various communist party leaders. And that was it's such a, a clever just the sledgehammer that- to the mind when that happens. The part that always and when I was and when I saw when I was in high school, it still like sticks with me is um, so basically in the scene there within the context of the story, Raymond Shaw kills two of these guys in his unit. Um, he's awarded like the Medal of Honor and so and he's like they say he saved him valiantly while the, tried to save him valiantly, but the scene is um, basically is like okay, well everyone is asking like Raymond has to act out of his own like he won't he won't kill out because that's out of his character so i'm gonna prove you guys wrong and basically he's like does anyone have a pistol 
and it cuts to the garden party scene. No, no, no. First is the towel, though. The towel well, is the crazy. Ta- well, the towel's crazy. The gunshot, though, because it's not it's not the gunshot, though. It's the woman that it cuts to. She lit- like She's literally dressed to the nines, garden party, and she pulls out her gun. She's like, here, you can use mine. And it's so off-putting and such a weird, like, boss. I- I don't know about you, but I would venture that's probably pretty standard happenings in a Georgia gardening circle. To be fair. Oh, you need a pistol, honey? I got mine. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely. 100% that's true. I will absolutely agree with that. Less subversive than you think. (laughs) Okay, so I'm reading about this. The brainwashing sequence was filmed three times in its entirety. The Garden Club ladies and Corporal Corporal Melvin's viewpoint, and then... Uh, against three different sets constructed so the camera could turn completely around in each the parts were then edited together to convey the shifting convey shifting perspectives so there were awesome blended sets but again like this is like the this is the awesome part about this movie is to convey brainwashing like that's the fun part about what it is is like it's not just a ba- it's it's not just a back and forth that it's not just one thing seems weird it's all these little pieces seem out of place like yeah. there's a soviet guy at a georgia garden party or there's a bunch of mm-hmm. you know ladies with weird hats sitting in this theater in the round watching a guy strangle another guy it's it's mm-hmm. unsettling and i think that's the most engaging yeah. part about the movie is because it's unsettling it sticks with you through the entirety of the film well it's it's a it's a brilliant setup for this kind of a movie, right? Because yeah. this is a thriller, right, that has a huge problem, which is this is the thriller of I'm standing on the train tracks, completely free and able to move and walk off the train tracks, and the train is like five miles down the tracks. Right. And I'm just watching it come at me the whole way, and I'm like, that's a train. That's a train. These are train tracks. That's a train. I'm on a train track. Right. And I have a long time to sit and know exactly what's coming. And so for a thriller, there's very few moments of shock and awe and, oh, look at what we figured out. Because they never let us figure things out. They just tell us the whole time. Right. But what this scene does is it it puts us – that slowly panning camera is us in the whole movie. Yeah. Totally. We are just floating helplessly, unable to get our feet on the ground. When – when Shaw is told to go strangle his least favorite guy, right? Yep. And he wraps it around, and he starts choking him. And they just tell the guy, hey, don't fight. Work with him to fucking get murdered. That's awesome. And he does it. And it's slow and steady and so matter-of-fact. And then the guy, the scientist, just picks up exp- expositoring again, right? Exposing whatever the word would be, right? right. He's like, ah, I missed back to my Pavlovian Institute. You know, PowerPoint. <laughs> he just goes right back to work. like, it's, And then Shaw goes right back to his chair. He even is like, excuse me, and asks people to move their chairs and shit. It's so... But that's it. That's what makes it thrilling and scary. It's like you're watching it happen in slow motion, but you can't yeah. alter course. And that really helps set the mood for the brainwashing, right? And the, the next kill is what adds the little extra dynamicness to it, which is... He has to kill the innocent, possibly too young to be in the unit guys. So you're like, here's already a guy yeah. that America abused and should not have put in this spot. And they were willing to kill him anyways. But now they're heartless for asking him to get killed. And he just smiles, right? He's the mascot. He's the platoon mascot. But as Raymond holds the gun, I don't know if you thought this, but I thought I saw like a slight shaking in the gun. 
Oh, yeah, like, totally. On some very small level, Shaw was like, fuck, 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 fuck. I... In those two scenes mixed together, right? The slowly, I can't help it, strangulation, and the victim will let me do it. Yeah. Showing you how powerful this brainwashing is. Because that's the thing, a soldier killing, you're like, all right, that's not probably like as crazy. He already is a dick and everyone hates him anyways. Right. But the guy letting himself be killed, that's crazy. Right. I mean, I but think that's... But when he that's... shoots the guy, that little shaking of the gun, you can see that... So you have to imagine where is Shaw in his mind watching this, right? Right. Is he truly the passenger who's watching or is he like hidden in his, you know... Uh, cabinet room, like in Dreamcatcher. <laughs> oh no, I think he. Yeah, I mean, you didn't I, think you'd get a Dreamcatcher reference in this pod, did you? <laughs> I mean, I think yeah, I think it's very much like he's taking his own back seat. But then, so what's interesting though is like all of this brainwashing stuff comes like in the middle of the movie after like Lieutenant Melvin has these dreams of like him at a garden party and wakes up. And the other thing too that I love is, um, they have all these little like artifacts of brainwashing. Like everyone says the exact same thing when they're asked about Raymond Shaw. Everyone right. says like Raymond is the kindest, warmest, most loyal person. I've like everyone says that. And which we know for a fact is wrong. <laughs> which we know for a fact is wrong. And it's fascinating because yeah. everybody also knows it's wrong. Like <laughs> Sinatra has that great line. And he goes, it's not that Raymond's hard to like, he's impossible to like. And yet I can't help yeah. but think this all the time. Like that. Yeah. That is like the best part. And like, that's like the great struggle of Marco's characters trying to get rid of, like, shake this feeling that something's off. And it's fascinating because he right. starts. He's a stone cold son of a bitch, but he cannot not say that about it. Right. Him. And he's trying really, really hard to shake the feeling that there's no reason for him to think that because he has only terrible memories of Raymond Shaw. And yet he believes that Raymond Shaw is the kindest, warmest person. It's impossible. And we all know that because right. Raymond Shaw's a and dick for, to everyone. Yeah, big time. Like big everybody. time the worst guy that's ever been. <laughs> he's a real little shitbag. He's the guy that Granted, you would you're shoot like, in the His mom head. and the drunk uh yeah, the drunk stepdad, they're both really bad. So like <laughs> all right, he, you had one leg uh you know, one leg behind your back in the ass kicking contest of life. Right. The pro I mean he he's a stone cold son of a bitch for sure. Yeah. But what I think is really good about Marco is Marco kind of plays as this ultimate soldier, right? Mm -hmm. And they do the thing where they try to they try to humanize him, right, and show that he's a little more inquisitive. Yeah, that's why he's tracking it because he just gets random books sent to him all the time, right. right? And he's read them all about everything, right? So he's really smart. But the the brainwashing from the the American soldiers is a really fun field to plow, right? It's very fertile with kind of these symbolisms because all soldiers on some level are brainwashed. Right. You must that the entire theory of military tactics and this and that, you know, not that like I'm a fucking expert or whatever, but you know, I played Halo and shit, so I know. <laughs> right. <laughs> Granted in that I'm a one man army. No, just kidding. But you have to Follow commands and orders and trust that the people above you are giving you the proper orders and this and that. Right. And so watching a soldier grapple with this, you know, something. My mind is telling me something and I don't like it. I can't accept it. Right. That's really interesting from a soldier perspective. Yeah. I mean, that's and I mean, that's like the best. 
I think that's the best part about this is you real like that's the other part is you realize these men are soldiers, they're used to following orders, and not only that, they're now lauded as heroes. Like these are men who came back from war, uh, nearly you know, nearly killed, and they came back from war and they're unscathed. They're generally, uh, I mean, other than like waking up screaming, they're generally pretty they're generally pretty well adjusted guys, I guess. <laughs> but like. That's the crazy thing is you think about going to war and being in a platoon with these men like you don't consider anything you don't consider thing any anything amiss because you can't you have to trust the guy next to you and I think that's what makes the concept of Raymond Shaw so complicated and so fascinating because like when we begin the movie everybody fucking hates Raymond Shaw it's stated very clearly at the very first, in like the first five minutes of the movie how much these guys dislike Raymond Shaw. <laughs> And yet he's like the yeah. he's the well he's the guy who walks in and he's like hey you guys are having fun in this most imagine unimaginably horrible situation yeah stop it bad like he's a total douche he's mean to he's mean to everyone and it's fascinating because and then yeah like everybody who talk who speaks of him speaks of him with reverence and everyone knows it's wrong. That I think is like even he knows it's wrong. He knows it too. Like everybody <laughs> he knows, knows he's a piece of shit. Everybody knows something <laughs> is wrong, and that is like the real because we should be like we all know it's wrong. We all know something's wrong too. But that is like the thing that I love about this movie is everybody is acting so hard to pretend like it's okay, and it's just not. And finally, when like I guess really one of the big turning points is the scene in Central Park, like the scene that happens in Central Park. It's a misfire of the uh, mechanism so basically raymond shaw anytime anytime raymond shaw is going to be programmed to do something the phrase is why don't you sit down and play some solitaire so he's in a bar with marco talking someone says that phrase which is a very very specific phrase to say and again that's one of those things you're like well terrible choice on the people from manchuria and the general like bad guys in this it's, it's hard for modern audiences because you're like i would never even be a soldier and fight for a country whose number one pastime right, is solitaire right. like if this many people are playing solitaire our country's not worth saving <laughs> right but that's like so they're in the bar this triggers the programming and he starts doing the um he all that's interesting is all he's doing is the actual like motions He's not actually. He doesn't have a deck of cards with him. He's just. Oh, we know he asked for a deck of cards. Sorry, he asked for. A deck yeah, of the cards. bartender gives him a deck. So once he sees the red queen, that's like the time. So when he gets the red queen, he stops because the, once the red queen's there, he has to be programmed to do something. And that's when the guy says, "Why don't you jump into the? Why don't you jump into the pond in Central Park?" And then Raymond walks and jumps into the pond in the Central Park. Which apparently was the coldest day in 30 years in 1961, whenever they shot this. <laughs> so Lawrence Harvey was like near frostbitten. But nevertheless, like that is sort of totally worth it. That, but that's like the best. That's like the thing about this movie is like the obedience to orders and the obedience to the thing that you know is not true. And that's like the real thing for Marco when he sees that. He's like, something is a miss. There's a misfire. Now I know that there's a misfire somewhere because. Raymond Shaw is a hard person to talk to regardless. So now that I've seen him do something so uncharacteristic and so out of nowhere, because Raymond Shaw, the entire movie is very buttoned up, like so tense. Like even when uh, he's, uh, when they put, uh, put him on the plane with uh, Islin and his mom fucking. Oh yeah. But maybe one of my all time favorite, like douchebag moments is 
Senator Islin goes behind the bar, puts on a little hat, and then turns on the twinkle lights. <laughs> and you're just like, oh, my God, I'd kill him right there. I don't even need programming for that one. Like, that's just the Yeah, <laughs> he's such a piece of shit. <laughs> he's just an utter piece of shit in this movie. But that's the best part is, like, so Raymond does that. So now Marco knows there's something amiss. And that's when Marco really starts to really excavate his own mind for the actual for the actual um answer and then what's crazy is then henry silva shows up and again this is a soldier watching another soldier just carry out orders right. from a superior and then that's and when, because the orders seem absurd now it's like well this is crazy and you're but that's what i love is that all of this is kind of there there's a great sequence i can't remember how they phrase it right but uh the doctor right they're sitting in raymond's room after he's had his accident his car accident right, right. And he's just sitting there. He's like, do you know how valuable and destructive this weapon is that you have? Like, they're just talking about Raymond as he's this unbelievable force yeah. of, you know, possible destruction. Um, And that listening to them talk about because normally in movies like this, when this is what they're talking about, right? It's a briefcase with VX nerve gas or a, a, a little nuke or something like that. Yeah. Right. They're talking about just one man who will un waveringly follow an order right just one fucking man who will act against his good nature his good conscience as it were that guy is the most destructive force in this cold war that is a really beautiful moment to me man well i mean i I thought that was it's the scariest part it's the most powerful part about the whole thing is that it's not a nuke or anything like that that's going to take us out. It's one guy doing the wrong thing. And that I think is probably the most relevant thing that it's probably the reason the movie transcends time period or anything like that. Not just because it it's still thrilling. works exactly the same today. Right? Absolutely. How does everyone fight today? Right? Something happens, which fucking feels like it's every 45 minutes in the news cycle. Now. Absolutely. People immediately go to Twitter what are the jokes on my side and what are the jokes and memes on the other side? And we start lobbing those at each other. Right. And no one ever listens. No one ever fucking learns. No one ever talks. Right. That is exactly what this movie. What I love, too, is that there again, every fucking thing feels like a work. Every scene when Sinatra's on the train and in a moment of just kindness. Right. He meets this lady and she comes up and lights a cigarette for him. She kept saying her number is Delta or rio delta something and then like five digits right right she kept saying i don't because she gave him her hotel room but then also this number which i presume is her telephone number yeah i thought i was like oh god she's activating him i was like they're all fucking oh interesting so this lady who then by the end of the movie becomes his wife and seems to really care for him Uh, is loving in a way, you know, right? She does say, uh, yeah, I went and kissed my fiance and told him goodbyes because I met you on a train, like shaking like a fucking junkie. It is. And that's who I'm going to saddle my horse to. It is weird. Uh, hey, fiance, my junkie train boyfriend is in the clink. <laughs> I'm going to go saddle my wagon to that. It is weird. Right? How... But no, but that's why I was like, this is too crazy. Like no woman would think this is like who you want to saddle down. Well, not with, only that, like, even though it's all blue eyes, not only that, but... but I thought when she was giving him the phone number, I thought she was activating him. See, and that's like, but that's like the, that's the icon <laughs> that's of the, the movie. I, that's iconography of the time. Like that's what phone numbers used to be. 
And it, but no, I'm saying because I assume everyone talking to everyone in this movie is doing something. Is part of the game. Sure. So I was like, why would she just like? Maybe that's a thing that used to happen. But today I was like, no, no. if I saw someone acting like that in public, I'd be like, peace. But it's, I'm out. But you know what's interesting <laughs> is the first time I watched this movie, I thought the exact same thing because of two reasons. One, it's Janet Lee, and two. Yeah. Why would you make? A, why would you put a famous actress in thirty-five minutes into a movie to like, fit, like, like? It's just she's literally plopped into the middle of the film, and then like, yeah, to then just sit in an apartment for Frank Sinatra to come home and tell her exactly what he's thinking <laughs> and nothing else. Pretty much, that's it. Like it's <laughs> so Frank Sinatra does. So Frank Sinatra is phenomenal in this movie. There's, he's such a great actor in this movie. That was really like my biggest takeaway. There's one scene that he has, and it's um, it's the realization that definitely something is amiss for him. Like it's like the cold hard fact, which is he goes to uh, Raymond's apartment, and like Chunjin, who is his houseboy, it's played by Henry Silva, <laughs> is one of like the guys who was like helping program him. They have the most boring fight scene of all time. Oh, yeah, dude. And I absolutely love it. It's one of the weirdest. That is the I take kickboxing cardio fight, right? Like all, all the all the dudes in your neighborhood are like, yeah, I, you know, I kicked a heavy bag three times last year. I'll definitely whoop some ass. I mean, it's but that's the other thing. This movie has a couple of those like real head scratchers <laughs> where it's. Are you fucking kidding me? Russia or China, whoever is responsible for that motherfucker or Korea. I don't even remember which side he's on right he's a judas he's just being a traitor no matter what i was like are we to assume that they sent him and said hey here's this wildly important asset that we need to you know not draw attention to now let's put the most recognizable betrayer in his very house and not tell him to stop taking social calls like the fact that frank sinatra could just walk in and see the guy that could blow the whole operation right was madness and then this other side the other side of this coin is frank sinatra takes this man a train killer in a hand-to-hand combat like karate he's also a train killer but not in like but like it's frank sinatra doing it does karate. make you wonder how we ever won wars if that is how our frank fighters sinatra. were trained <laughs> it's i mean yeah uh fucking yeah That's- jackie chan at eight for sure Right, the the, t- the technique is so bad. I mean, it's it's Frank Sinatra. Like Frank Sinatra, at one point karate chops through of through like through a fucking table. Like you're just like I love how they you know because that was one of the things where they're just on set. They're just like this fight sucks the balls. <laughs> they're like these guys suck at fighting, and then you know just some art department guy. They're like. Hey, do you have something that Frank Sinatra could karate chop through with his brittle old bones? They're like, oh, yeah, we can rig that up. And they hit it, and they're like, oh, now I'm taking the fight serious. Because <laughs> the manservant didn't snap like a table. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's like, yeah, it's like, oh, cool. He kicked through also, the balsa with the where the fuck does that table. guy go? It's- the police just arrest him, and they're like, he's a Korean, <laughs> you know, double agent. And they're like, ah, nonsense. We dropped him off at the pub down the block. Boys will be boys, am I right? It's just <laughs> I mean, it's just perfect. It's it's one of those like great moments. That fight scene is beautiful. It, 
it's one of those great moments because you're like, oh, God, this is so just iconically 60s. It's just like, of course, this is the best fight scene we could come up with. It's just like Frank yeah. Sinatra versus but probably someone who could beat the hell out of them. If they weren't both, yeah, if they weren't both badass military people, <laughs> right? But you're like, there's a lot of us in like day to day life. Yeah. Then our fights would probably look a lot more like that than movie fights. There is one thing that we have not talked about yet that I have to touch on before we go, which is Angela Lansbury, who... Unbelievable. Oh, my God, man. Unbelievable. First off, she's young, which is weird for everybody. Young-ish, though? You know what's weird? She was only three years older than Lawrence Harvey, and she's supposed to be his mother. But that's what I mean. Yeah. You you feel like she's one of those people that, like, in her high school yearbook, they're like, what'd you teach, homeroom? <laughs> she's like, no, I, I graduated. I, I graduated. But, like, because that's what I said. I'm like, God, she looks young, but then also old somehow. Still old? You know, yeah. but, man, she is, she was she's unbelievable. phenomenal. She- but I look, the whole character of this movie is, again, this is kind of one of those also taking on the times is just, she is such a horrible puppet master, right? A, a true snake, yeah. you know, amongst the flock. But no one sees her as a threat, no. right? She's just this woman, right? right? She can't possibly be doing anything. No. It's un- There's a shot early in the movie that, oh, my God, it, it was just melting my brain. And it's when Sinatra's doing his first PR gig, right? Right. And she's sitting there, and she kind of looks over and gives the, like, all right, you know, organ grinder, monkey, step drunken husband or whatever. Time to do your time to earn your fucking cheese crackers, you know, <laughs> husband. And she looks at him and he goes, I think the 50 pound communist, blah, blah, like he's all drunk and shit. Right. And you're looking at him and she's just told him what to do. Right. So that's taking the piss out of his kind of like authoritative. He's a senator. Right. We're like, oh, he's a fucking stooge. He's he's a stooge. He's a goon. Right. Right. Because we saw her give the order. But in the foreground, right, so there's Angela Lansbury, and just a little bit past her is a TV set that's showing this close-up of Senator Isley, whatever his name is, Isley, decrying the communist, you know, invasion and defending America. So in the background, he looks like this fucking buffoon, you know, in a circus but on that TV, he looks fucking powerful exactly. and heroic. And it, again, it's showing the the hypnotic nature of this kind of political theater totally. that's happening in the movie. But that shot, I was just like, that is masterful. Yeah. I think unbelievable. That, yeah, that it really any scene she has is so, you know, it's interesting, too. Cause well, I love too because she slowly, you know, to take another, <laughs> you know, overused cliche, but the wolf in sheep's clothing mm-hmm. This movie is like if the wolf is doing like a Jessica Rabbit. Yeah. Where like every scene, it's like I'm going to show you a little more wolf. Mm-hmm. It is. It is really a, a wonderfully paced performance. Right. I, well, I mean, like, and I know it's coming too. Like that's the best part is I know it's coming, and then she says, "Why don't you uh, pass the time by playing some solitaire?" And every time I see this movie, every time I'm still like, "Fuck." Oh my She's god! She's the American operator. She's the operator. She, but it, because- it makes perfect sense because we've seen her do it. Yep. With you know Senator Fuckboy the whole movie. <laughs> yes. It's crazy. It's nuts. it's 
Angela. That one, that one got me because this movie has a couple moments that actually startled me, right? Because it does feel like one of those you kind of know what's coming all the time. Right. His own mother being the American. They kept saying it, and I just didn't think about it. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty right there on front street. Right, like it's a little too obvious, but then. But 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 then again, we have this built-in like her own son. Right. And she has that scene. And this is the most venomous scene she has. And she's brilliant in it. Right. Because she plays it again with the Mrs. Potts voice. Mm -hmm. Right. You start watching Beauty and the Beast now and you're like, oh, maybe she fucking bitch slapped Chip. Maybe she broke her son. Maybe maybe that's maybe the chip is hers. Yeah. Oh, you don't see a commie in the fucking spoon drawer. Fucking bitch smash Chip out of the, the China cabinet. Next time mommy says commie, you say fire (laughs) that's mrs potts right but she's sitting there at the end and she's gonna get her way right and we know that raymond's commands are severed but he's just sitting there taking it in and uh she walks up to him and she's just like man uh you know in this moment because that's the thing her husband dies and we don't know exactly what happened right but somehow in this now she has no one you know to puppet master for power yeah in this void she finds this drunken fool Right. Who does his job. And she somehow has still has the juice to go reach out and say, hey, give me a trained assassin and I will steal this White House. Right. And presume presumably use that to the betterment of the communist agenda, whatever. Right. Right. But they, for some reason, choose her son. Right. Like that's not something they pre-discussed. And that's fucking ridiculous that you can imagine Angela Lansbury's character as we're shown in this movie, not knowing who they're picking. You think they randomly targeted her son? No, there's no fucking way. Right. And why in what better assassin, right? Who will she have the most control over? So she's so fucking full of shit, but she sits there and she's like, my own son. I can't. I asked for an assassin. I never thought it would be you. When this is over and we take power, I will turn around and use that power to destroy them. They'll pay for this. <laughs> so one, you're seeing her true face emerge, right? right. She's just out for this this wrath, right? She has that wonderful line where she's like, uh, our power will be ushered in with power that will make martial law look like chaos. Yeah. And you're like, oh, my God. It's like some Emperor Palpatine <laughs> shit, right? And she talks about the speech that her and the you know the communists have been writing for years and talking about how the drunken buffoon is going to lift the dead body of his you know candidate and he's going to give this speech and how this drunken fucking dipshit is going to look like the ultimate hero enough where she can take everything and she honestly is just lying right to this motherfucker's face it's that she did not willingly sacrifice her son and this guy, and probably her previous husband, to get this unfettered power, man. It's the most terrifying. But she delivers it with a true, and that I don't know if that was true for you, but it felt like she was being earnest. But there is such a like a roiling subtext. I mean, to me, it's like, it's, there's no way she let a detail slip. No, I think no it's. Way. I think it's all for naught. Like to me, the most terrifying thing about uh. Angela Lansbury's performance is she does such a good job of being a bad mother that by the end, I absolutely don't believe a fucking word she says. And that I think yeah. is the true power of the whole thing is she's a great operative. Like she's such but, an incredible but take that, political Take that operative. one step further, right? You don't believe what she says. I don't believe what she says. 
why does she say it to a brainwashed son who, in theory, shouldn't remember it? Right. Because. Why? Because. Why is she telling that lie at that Because moment? I think that's the lie she tells herself. Like, that's like, because think about it. Like, at the end, like, you, mm, at the I end like, like that. that, wouldn't you tell yourself, like, I'm a good parent. Like, I'm doing this for the good of my country, but also for the good of my child. Like, that's the lie True. she tells herself is, like, I wouldn't know. I would never put my child that through that. That tracks for me. Well, because they do that with every character, right? Even the doctors, like, when the Russians are like, our uh, hospital actually turned a problem. He's like, be careful. The disease of communism is very infectious. The all disease think- of capitalism is very infectious, yes. Yeah. And he's like, they all think they're doing well, and they think the Americans are definitely brainwashing people to use on. Totally. So everyone in the movie thinks they're doing right. Right. Which makes it extra sad. But when when she told that lie, I was, oh, my God. Because then we find out, like, she wrote this horrible note to his girlfriend to bust him up. It's just, it's it's so excruciating, right? Because the betrayal is one thing. Because we know his mom sucks and that he hates his mom. But, (laughs) you know, he was somewhat like he kind of has Stockholm syndrome, period. Just like, you know, oh, I was just trapped in her house for, you know, my teenage all of my years until I was a teenager. And, you know, yeah, I'm just I can't I can't quit her even though I fucking despise her. So she but when she tells that lie, it's so pointless. Right. And again, this is where the exposition nature of the movie really helps. Because every character is just telling us facts. She tells it to us like it's true, and we just know it's fucking not. Right. And we know it's, oh, man. But that scene ripped my heart it's out. It's brutal. But it's oh, it's just. She's she's perfect. She's amazing. She's so wonderful. And, again, she's perfectly cast. It does make you wonder where were the other roles after this. Like, I know she worked a lot. But you're like, how was she not starring in everything after this movie? Well, yeah, <laughs> you know I mean, what like, I mean? what was the trajectory? Like, you know, I mean. Well, how did she not become the Kathy Bates of those movies? You know what I right. mean? Well, I mean, it kind of has that quality of a performance to me. Yeah, just a little more sophisticated. I mean, that's what it is, though. She is she she might be one of my all time favorite movie villains. Like she truly oh, has, man. she truly captures something unique about what it is to lie to yourself, but then the willingness you have to lie to your child is. There's something quite wicked about that. It's pretty terrifying. Well, she's such a piece of shit that I even wondered if she gave the girl the Queen of Hearts costume. Oh, that's interesting. Like, I wondered if she set that up because she kept doing that. Hey, wait, wait, she'll be here. Wait, wait, she'll be here. And I was like, oh, fuck, she's going to use her as the trigger so that he thinks, you know, he's cool. He's going to get back in close so he can walk into that guy's house. That's kind of interesting. Unquestioned and kill him, right? Yeah, yeah. Because that's how I was like, what are the ch- – this is the thing. She's so good. You're like, I don't believe she didn't know her son was, you know, the fucking target. Right. I also don't believe that she invited this girl to her party, didn't know she snuck in the fucking back door, didn't notice she was wearing a queen of hearts or diamonds costume. The That's one fucking thing. As he's playing, sol- the timing of it, and, you, and again, that could just be, you know, how they're telling the story. But see, that I think that is an absolute setup. I mean, I, I wouldn't disagree. I mean, that's like the magic of this movie is Cause how else Because he so easily get into their house at right. the end to commit his assassination. I mean, that's the magic of this movie at large is that it makes you look at every single thing that happens in this movie. Like, was that a setup? Is that a setup? Is this a put on like that kind of thing? 
That's yeah, everything that, feels like a put on. <laughs> that's what I love about. She this knew because there's that great there's that great moment where Senator Thomas is like, everyone thinks that uh, Island's a drunken fool, and he kind of looks at her side eye and he's like, I know he's not. Yeah. And what he's saying is, I know you're not. Yep. And she fucking, you know, he's like, I'll, I would take every dime I've ever had and could borrow and everything to stop you. Yeah. And she's like, you motherfucker. But she had to know. Because she had to knows. know that. It's, this is the one thing, though, right? There are always these little wrinkles where it could go wrong. The one moment, and this gets back to Sinatra being the dumbest operative <laughs> in movie history, is when Shaw's like, look at me. I told a joke. Oh, yeah. And I remember specifically writing on my phone, did I miss the joke? Right? Like, I had no idea what the joke was. But he kept saying he did a joke and how much that meant. And he's like, hey, man, I came to question this dude because he's an assassin. And I know he's an assassin. And then she's like, but I got to get that honeymoon dick. And Sinatra goes, dope. I'll see you Monday. <laughs> and I was like, what? He's like, maybe you can fuck the wiring loose. That was Sinatra's plan. And his superiors, like, I, this would be the best add-on to this movie ever, right? If they release, like, an art, you know, making of the movie companion. Yeah. They should hire someone to write Sinatra's, uh, you know, memos on all of his planning. He's like, I got a deck of cards, and I'm going to let his girlfriend fuck his brains out. Maybe that'll work. <laughs> like, I want to I wanna read Sinatra's plan. Because literally... He shows up in his things. He tells his way too fast wife, who might also be working him, right? He might also be a plan. Right. That's why he does everything stupid. He literally is like, today's the day where I get all the answers and the nightmare stops and I save America. And then just because some girl he's never met and some guy he hates, hates, but he's had like two heart to hearts with. But she's like, we gots to fuck. And he just goes, Hands off. you're right. Cool. Sorry about that. My bad. Yeah. Well, then they have the great where Sinatra walks in. It's one of those like funny things when you use a prop poorly in a movie. <laughs> he walks in with the paper like no one holds a paper like sideways right to camera. <laughs> but he walks in and she's like, what's wrong? And he's like, I know the assassin Shaw killed his wife and his father-in-law. But in a way I did. And I go. There's no in a way about it. You, you definitely killed definitely him. did it. You had him. You fucking had him. You had that. You could have been throwing queen of fucking diamonds all over yeah, that apartment and instead making it rain on him like it's one dollar Thursdays. You know what I mean? And bring his ass back to the, the pokey. Lock him up. Movie over. Sinatra. I think maybe Sinatra's way too fast fiance. Was also working him. I mean, I always thought that Janet Lee is such a big like. Re it's the same, you know. Also, though, is because she was the sure. same thing in Psycho. I was like, is Janet Lee doing a She's Psycho? She's the here? ultimate red herring actress. Yeah, she's like the <laughs> red herring actress. Look at me! Look at me! Psych. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. It's what? What's your final? Wrap this up. I mean, wax poetic on this movie for a minute. Why do you love this movie so much? For me, the Manchurian Candidate exemplifies a lot of things I love about movies. Great technique, great acting, great performances. But the thing that it does better than anything is it it makes you walk the tightrope, even though you know the information. 
You know what's going to happen. You know what's on the other side over there. You're still going to walk the tightrope because it's just that good. You want to know how do I, how I might already know, but how are these guys going to find out? The fact that I care how they find out and I'm willing to suffer through like the world's worst karate class. That is the, (laughs) that's the, to be fair, the movie could have used more karate. (laughs) That is the strength of the Manchurian candidate is that I want to walk. I want to walk and I want to watch the things unfold, even though I already know it happened. Yeah. I think that that's a great, again, yeah, I kind of thought of it as this slow-moving train. I see the train. I know I can get off, uh, but it's still very tense and thrilling. And to me, I come back to we know all the details and information. Right? It's like reading a military briefing, right? Yeah. Like here's all these facts, right? Absolutely. Nothing's hidden. Everything's right on Front Street. But there are two or three moments of emotional truth. Mm-hmm that really just come in out of nowhere and shock you. Totally. I I actually had a, like I gasped audibly, you know, like you, you think people don't do that when they watch movies, you know, on their couch and their underwear. (laughs) But I did when he shot the Senator, I was like, right on. Like I knew that was coming. Right. right? Of course he said, he's going to block, you know, the old uh, Viper over there. So she's going to take his ass out. Right. When his wife came down the stairs and saw him put a bullet in her dad, and he just quick draws her ass and shoots his own wife, I was rocked. Like, audibly shot up. was like, no, no. You know, like, gasping like some old man, you know? I was like, what the fuck? Like, that rocked me. And even at the end, when he had his, when he turns around after his, uh, you know, sniper feed of taking out, uh, drunk stepdad and mom. Yeah. When he turns around, it's not so much that he says, I was the only one that could stop them, this and that, because he's not stopping anything. All this shit's going to keep going. As Sinatra makes very clear when he reads like the, the Medal of Honor descriptions. Yeah. And now that we know that Shaw's was false, do we believe all of them, you know? And even like giving medals out for these horrific things we're hearing about, it, wouldn't it just be better if that guy didn't go through it? It's this whole like emotional idea, right? But him turning around and wearing the medal, right? The medal that's supposed to symbolize this great feat and him just putting it on, you know, him who represents essentially nothing but, you know, just an empty husk full of other people's lies. Yeah. Like those kind of moments just explode off the screen, right? And this this slow-moving thriller. I, I, I mean, I found it utterly fascinating. I think it still is just is impactful in today's society. You know, when we're not as afraid, I mean, there are still people that are wildly afraid of communism, yes. but to me, it's just these, these weird group hypnosis we willingly jump in all the time. It's true. I mean, this is, that's what the movie is. It's what makes the movie thrilling is the thought of the, the thought of loss of individuality is yeah. more terrifying than anything. And the, but then the most individual, the one who wants to rule the world is the worst person. So that's what I mean. The movie is just, I, and I think that's what's cool is it's always, you know, do you ever believe anything, right? Like if you're so afraid of groupthink and being brainwashed, do you go too far? Right. You know? So I don't know. I, I think it's cool that the movie just plays in these, these just really fun gray areas, man. Agreed. A fascinating pick. I'm glad I finally got to mark that one off Me my too, list, man. man. It was awesome. Yeah. It was really an exceptional movie. That's it for the Manchurian Candidate. 
but the pod is still captive. Help! Help! All right, up next, we got two more captivity joints for y'all. Uh, we got Compliance, which is an amazing little indie film about, based on a true story that is so ridiculous and horrifying, but is going to feel really real. Really real. Look, at that's the kind of brilliant wordsmithing that you get from this part. It's really real. <laughs> and Black Snake Moan, which I am fucking pumped to talk about. Uh, also, guys, we have some more stuff coming your way, so stay tuned for that. Please leave us a rating and review wherever you find us, uh, especially on Apple Podcast app. Please find us on all your socials, especially uh, Twitter, at PhilMalchemist1. You can reach out to us, tell us movies you would like to hear us talk about, double features, entire month-long themes, uh, guest hosts that you'd like to hear us talk with. Whatever you guys want, we want to hear it. Please hit us Anything up. and everything. FilmAlchemistPod at gmail.com. That's right, baby. Uh, and... You can see our pretty Manchurian faces on YouTube, where the Manchurian podcast is on YouTube. Uh, that's Nerd Alchemist, plural, with an S at the end. You can come see our brainwashed husk of bodies. Uh, that's it, guys. We'll be seeing you next week for the Film Alchemist. I'm Josh Griffith. I'm Alex Dandino. <laughs>